0: Thank you for listening to Data Science at Home podcast with Francesco Gadaletta. You are about to get cutting edge insights from the people who are reshaping the world of technology with machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence. It's time for Data Science at Home. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the headquarters of Amethix Technologies based in Belgium. Well, first of all, thank you very much for trusting me with your time. I really appreciate that and uh, I want to remind you that there is uh, a very new Discord channel that we opened in order to create a community around the podcast. You can find all the coordinates in the show notes of this episode and of course on the website datascienceathome.com. You can follow the links and join the community. It's an amazing stuff that you can, in fact, discuss with us some of the uh, past episodes and, of course, propose new ones. So come join us. Today, I'm not alone. I am with uh, Stan Yashomsky from New York University. Hi, Stan. How are you doing?
1: Good. Thank you. Thank you.
0: I'm pretty sure that I misspelled your... Oh, <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> wasn't that your bad. <laughs> All
0: right. Uh, so well stan is an expert in uh, deep learning and uh, among other things and uh, in fact he has a very strong background in uh, some of the most important research topics at the moment in my opinion which are for example optimization in deep learning representation learning of course natural language processing and another one that is uh, computer-aided drug design of which he's gonna speak about in a few minutes. So Stan, please introduce yourself to the listeners of uh, Data Science At Home podcast.
1: Okay, Um, so uh, I am currently a postdoc at New York University, working with Kyung Byung uh, Cho and Krzysztof Geras. Uh, Prior to that, I did my uh, PhD in Poland, uh, co-supervised also from um, University of Edinburgh. And as you say, I was working on a mixture of things. Uh, I, I, I started my PhD um, working on drug discovery only, but then I got sucked in, into more fundamental stuff and mostly focused on it since. Hmm.
0: And so, where what are the domains that uh, you have been working on in particular? If you can expand on that.
1: So, I started working on applying deep learning to drug discovery. Um, specifically, one particular part of the drug discovery project um, pipeline, which is 12 years long and costs so much, um, I was very fortunate that our group was working very closely with um, experts in drug discovery, so I was able to do some pretty early work on the topic, on the like on this intersection of drug, deep learning and drug discovery. Um, after that, I I went to um, for a research visit to Montreal. With um, uh, Professor Joshua Penjo, where um, because of my interest, I guess, in cheminformatics, I was working on protein folding. Um, that didn't really pan out. Uh, I guess it was a bit too difficult for me at the time. And somehow, in that environment, which is like, super collaborative and fun, um, I picked up uh, uh, interest in. Um, generalization of deep networks. And one of the key aspects of this problem of understanding generalization deep learning is understanding optimization. And that's how I became interested in optimization deep learning.
0: Well, in fact, this is one of the topics that we will touch today. But before we get there, uh, what are the domains that you have personally seen deep learning being years ahead of the state of the
1: art? For sure, in many domains, um, deep learning is not that much better than the traditional methods, such as actually drug discovery. Um, so I think that clearly um, in vision, and that's how everything started really, um, in vision, deep learning just beats any other method. And if we think about this, the, the the thing that is special about deep learning and which is not present in any other method is representation learning. So whenever representation learning is not the key, aspect of the problem um, then that's probably where deep learning won't work well or, or when representation learning is not possible and when representation learning is a key aspect of the problem such as in computer vision and data and priors enable learning that's where deep learning is let's say years ahead uh, of its com- competition
0: now that makes sense because in fact a lot of you know practitioners are using deep learning where deep learning is really great at indeed for example computer vision you just mentioned now, what do you think is deep learning bringing to the table that other methods don't or are not capable of?
1: Right, so I think that's that's the representation learning. Um, mm. It is, and maybe even more generally, if you if you will go into techniques such as meta-learning, just adapting any aspect of the system to the data at hand is a powerful paradigm. Um, So, specifically in terms of representation learning, just introducing this ability of having hierarchical representation that is adapted to the data wasn't really present in any other previous method, as far as I know. Um, So this seems like the strongest, uh, the biggest differentiator.
0: Now, the accuracy of a neural network pretty much depends on how good the stochastic gradient descent method is at finding minima of the loss function, whatever the loss function is. Now, what does influence minima in a stochastic gradient descent al- algorithm?
1: So, interestingly, and that's been very confusing for many people, um, in deep learning optimization is typically the easy part. In the sense that when you take get an expert in optimization, he will be interested in finding the lowest point in the loss surface, meaning the minimum. So that's a that's an easy problem in deep learning. This might be related to having a lot of uh, parameters or Working with large data sets, but it is an easy problem. However, what is interesting and what is important for um, how the network actually works is the shape of the final minima or minimum and the trajectory we took to get there. And these things are very much influenced by the optimization method that we use, um, which is often called um, using the umbrella term implicit regularization in deep learning
0: i'm I'm sure that some of the listeners of this episode do not know what do you mean by shape of the minimal. Do you mind expanding on that?
1: Oh, okay, sure. yeah, I think <laughs> I know
0: it's a big topic here. I mean, we can open books and books about that, and, right. but please try to squeeze this in this episode.
1: Sure. I, I think I spent a bit too much of my time of like of my research <laughs> on the shape of right. deep learning. So um, if you just envision a parabola, like a minimizer in one dimension, a quadratic function. Um, What I mean under the umbrella term of the shape uh, is in particular, um, the curvature. So imagine a wide parabola or a narrow parabola. Um, So uh, in in deep learning, the optimization method, and in particular the learning rate and batch size, which are a critical part of the optimization method, influence the shape of the minimum. In particular, if you use a large step size, um, you will end up in a very wide, let's say, in one dimension parabola, and this seems to have connections to well generalization and other properties of the network. Even though you always get to the minimum in the sense that the your the minimum value of the loss that you see is the same regardless of the um, learning late, rate. Let's say
0: that makes perfect sense. Let's talk about a bit of memory and deep neural networks, because you also spent a whole lot of time on on that aspect of neural networks as well. So my question is kind of, you know, it's technical, of course, but it's also kind of philosophical, if you will, because I believe that when a deep neural network is, you know, very deep and uh, it has, for example, an enormous number of parameters, Think about the, you know, even the GPT-2, like it has, I don't know, 1.5 sure. billion or 750 million parameters still, an impressive yeah. amount of, of parameters there. But sure. in front of these networks, my question is how far is it from, you know, being just a lookup table that just memorizes most of the relations between input and output and, how, and, and you know, how close to a network that can truly understand things or abstract concepts are we?
1: Sure. Um, that's that's a fantastic question. And, and yes, I also spent a bit too much time on thinking about memorization. Um, so first of all, it's important to realize that any model can memorize. If we have a random forest, it will almost by definition memorize at the end of training. Um, as for how far the networks are from memorization, um, it seems pretty clear we can do the following experiment. So this is an experiment devised by, um, one of my collaborators in uh, Montreal. So w- what you can do is you can take the data set and then just completely corrupt, for instance, sample new labels randomly for more like 20% of your data. Um, and then you can train on all of this. It turns out that training, let's say automatically will focus first on the non-random data and then it will learn the random data. So, the training process is far from memorization in this intuitive sense that if there is an information that is possible to learn from data, it will prioritize it compared to um, random labels that it would have to memorize. I don't know if that that was clear?
0: Yes. I mean, so you're saying that, in fact, a network would prefer, you know, the training procedure of a a neural network would, would prefer or prioritize over data that have some sort of geometry, so to speak.
1: Right. If you have just random and corrupted data, it will be ignored by the optimization procedure, which I refer to as this implicit regularization effect. Um, It's actually not magic. It's pretty easy to explain why this happens. The reason for it is that when when we train in deep networks where we compute a gradient for each example, so you can imagine a lot of arrows. Right? that points you towards some direction in the loss surface. And now these arrows will be very much um, flipping often for the random data because it's random, and will be very consistent for the true data because well, it has some information in it. And it's just a matter of there are many consistent directions, so it will be just a huge push to focus on these examples. And only when you learn them and you know their gradients disappear, that's when you can focus on this very noisy flipping gradients of the random data.
0: So stupid questions what happens when you train a neural network on 100% random data
1: uh, that's that's actually very interesting So first of all you can memorize if you really want to it can be a bit challenging sometimes you have to have white models and take care of training uh, to make sure that you minimize loss but as, but generally speaking it's quite easy, uh, quite possible to do but what is interesting is that when we memorize data let's say we run this experiment a popular image image dataset. Um, we actually pick up features from the dataset, even though it is random. So, if we just take the first layer from a network, from a convolutional neural network trained to memorize data, and we visualize the filters, they are actually detecting edges. So, even though we have random data, even in this case, the model picks up something that is, you know, arguably not pure memorization.
0: Whew, I need Something to try probably after this call. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is interesting that it happens. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean.
0: Okay. So, you mentioned uh, regularization uh, before. Now, how is regularization really related to memorization in Deep Neural Networks? Um, because it's right. there, there is a connection between the two, right?
1: Yeah. So first of all, there is this um, term implicit regularization that I mentioned a few times. So implicit regularization in deep learning seems to prefer learning through data from random data if you have the two at the same time. So that's one way in which implicit regularization is related. As for explicit regularization, so I think weight decay or dropout, um, you can think about it um, in this way that it makes memorization harder while it makes it doesn't affect that much learning on the on the true data. So again if you were to repeat the experiment where you have like 20% of uh, the data with randomized labels and then you add explicit regularization it will very much slow down learning on the random labels while well it will more or less keep learning on the true data similar.
0: So as a summary of what we just said, you know, we said a lot of things about regularization, memorization, uh, random uh, uh, random data. Now, I have yet another question that comes out of curiosity in fact which is when neural networks are trained on on random data do they have any specific properties for example distribution of the weights i might think uh, that networks trained on non-random data probably do not have did you ever find these kind of differences between the two in your you know to the best of your experience
1: Um, so there was this plot in a workshop version of our paper on memorization where um I think David Kruger show, uh, has shown that, um, was one of the co-authors, that if you, uh, if you look at the shape of the minima, so we can connect what we discussed at the beginning, then it, it seems like a network train on random data will converge to minimizers that are much sharper, meaning that they correspond to much narrower parabola, intuitively speaking. Um, so that's one one difference, but that's more on a, on a continuous scale. There are actually a lot of, I would say there are more similarities, as in, for instance, you learn some features in the first layer.
0: So in fact, what you're saying is that there might be a tool one day for which we would look at the network or the weights or how the the shapes of this minima are and would kind of figure out what type, how much randomness there was in the training data set.
1: Yes, in principle, I think that's... Uh, that that would be possible. There are already quite a few papers that try to say disentangle memorization from um, generalization. It's very challenging in deep learning because it's pretty clear that our models rely quite strongly on memorization-like behaviors to generalize. And you know, there are a few papers that actually talk about this counterintuitive uh, phenomenon, which is that you can improve your generalization by you know memorizing data. Where a great example of that is uh, nearest neighbor model. Um, So the two are actually a bit difficult to disentangle.
0: Stan, I think we are at the philosophical question that I keep asking at the end of each interview, (laughs) which is, uh, where do you see deep learning in the future? Like, there is a lot of noise out there. Um, It's not just random data. It's like real noise from journalists (laughs)
1: who
0: who claim that, uh, you know, we're going to be defeated by robots or killed by AIs here and there. So what's your opinion on that
1: okay so i think you you entangled two questions there
0: yeah um, i did well, i'm sorry for that so let's start <laughs> let's start from the first one where do you see deep learning in the future which is i believe it's the most technical of the two and then we move to the right. to the religion I, part right right right
1: okay. <laughs> <laughs> right well it, it's it's this type of question where that where i am sure i'm wrong while answering it but if i were to guess i think that um we are what is really clear on the path of deep learning is um, to use much more diverse and massive data sets. So we always train this one specialist models. For instance, it's especially visible in AI for medical diagnosis. We have a lot of models that just you know, detect one type of cancer, for instance. Um, I think there is a lot of potential in just... Match all of the data sets and training one model that reasons a lot about all of them and this is you know It's it hasn't been yet done and it should massively improve the models. Um, so yeah, that's 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 one thing that I see on the path uh, for, In the future,
0: how about agi,
1: right? <laughs> so, so that's that's even less for a question <laughs> So yeah, I think this is um an even more an even more difficult question to answer um currently it is not clear if if we are on the right trajectory in the sense that it is not clear if just scaling up what we have will you know will get us there um so i'm pretty sure we need we need um, some quite fundamental advance um i'm i won't be very original here i quite strongly agree with um, views of some of the you know prominent researchers, for instance, um, Joshua Ven is, is really um, strongly promoting this direction of learning better representations, um, for instance, among other things. Um, so I do I do see it possible, uh, but it's for sure not just scaling up what we have. That would be my answer. And it's a bit vague, but yeah, I really don't know.
0: Uh, we'll see. But in fact, nobody does. I mean, that's, uh... yeah,
1: <laughs> you know, like for sure. I'm not very, I'm not that afraid of, you know, terminator scenario, but I'm very much afraid of, you know, just blindly using models in, you know, in broadly speaking society. Like we, we I don't think we can trust our models enough to, for instance, use them in judiciary system or, you know, to use them for, well, not yet for medical diagnosis, um, or at least for medical diagnosis, we have to use them in a smart way. So I think perhaps a more productive path towards, um, you know, towards future and to tie up to the previous question is to figure out how we can use current advances already in a way that we can trust them um instead of thinking about like the killer robot scenario
0: <laughs> yeah i agree with you in fact i, I share with you the opinion about uh, finding a definition which is quite a quite clear definition of what do we intend yeah. by agi i mean yeah
1: yeah i kind of omitted defining it but to really answer this question we would have to yeah.
0: exactly so the answer would be like uh, do you believe in agi well define agi Exactly, (laughs) which
1: is not the perfect answer, but but, uh,
0: (laughs) it's a plausible one. (laughs) All right, Stan, that was very nice to have some time with you and um, uh, share some opinions. And uh, I'm pretty sure that listeners of this episode will enjoy. We are going to report some of the papers and uh, some of your research on the show notes of this episode. Uh, So thank you for being here.
1: Thank you very much.